The world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layered timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve is available from $995. Current users can download the updates for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagicdesign.com. What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and this week we have Dan Liebenthal discussing Ant-Man. You've probably noticed we've changed things up a bit, so this is an actual full episode. Instead of breaking it up the way we used to into 15-minute chunks, we're doing full episodes, and we're going to try and keep it more current. So we were actually going to start this last week with the Minions editor, but we got a little hung up with the studios discussing permissions on certain things. So this week we're talking to Dan Liebenthal about Ant-Man. What we've also done is we've got a new discussion section on AOTG.com and you can go to AOTG.com discuss to check out any of the new discussions or any posts that people are putting up. And so what we've done is we've added a section to this discussion section for this podcast. So if you go to AOTG.com Ant-Man, you'll actually be redirected to a full transcript of this interview as well as any questions uh, or discussion points that people wanted, you can go to the discussion section from there and you can ask questions, point things out from the movie, find your favorite VFX, maybe post some GIFs, anything like that. So you can check it out there. That's aotg.com Ant-Man. And of course, you can always ask me questions there. You can ask Lauren questions there. Anyone who's been on the podcast who's gonna be in, in the discussion area. So with that said, here's my interview with Dan Liebenthal discussing the cutting of Ant-Man. I've heard I've heard you talk about tone several times uh, when you're working on Marvel films. So how how do you approach um, molding tone for for films such as this? How do you approach sort of getting those moments to work and and click? Well, the hardest thing is to get tone right. You know, which is tone is the experience by which an audience relates to the material. It's not story. It's less tangible. It's it's the factor of how you experience it. Yeah, you know, it's um, some of its sensibility that I had learned early on. Uh, you know, way back when I was working with the Hughes brothers, that that you know it was the sort of uh, you know the teaspoon of sugar helps the medicine go down. So what you get is you could portray the same material of this sort of down and out guy and it can it can get actually heavy for the audience mm-hmm. so what we had to do is is approach it with looking at the material in sort of a um a glasses half full manner and that's that's why the Luis character in the movie michael Pena's character is so is so uh favorited by everyone because he's the epitome of uh of that, but that that becomes a, a tonal thing. How do you prevent things from just being broad or uh, you know uh, going beyond going beyond sort of the material and the stakes? You have to you have to keep that in this Marvel universe as real, and that's that's the um, 
the baby that's in the bathwater that if you if you went for humor but it it sacrificed um you know the the real stakes and just kind of wink at itself it was it just can't work so there's a line and and you know there was plenty of ways to put this together wrong i will say that you know um it, it was a gosh it was, this was an awful fun journey though yeah well, you can see it sort of um, like there's a great moment uh, where the where um, Michael Douglas and Evangeline Lilly um, mm-hmm. they're sort of like realizing why they've been at odds for so many years, and then Paul Rudd sort of chimes in. Yeah, that was a very emotional moment. I mean, I was I was kind of choked up cutting it. <laughs> it was funny because. It always did. There was something. There was something about tearing down that wall that was, you know, that that was really cool. And then, you know, in the style that we had done before, and and what um, Paul Rudd uh, and McKay brought was them using it's kind of the same style we use in Iron Man. We always, if you have the real heartfelt thing, which is actually rare in a Marvel movie, but to go there, mm-hmm. you absolutely have to then turn and turn around and take the piss out of it. You know, and so at the end of the scene, you know, when 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 Paul's there, it's it's great because you you get your movie back that way. Yeah. You know? It's funny because it's 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 great to be able to go there, but as I say, you have to find your way back. Um there was a scene earlier in the movie where, uh, in the training montage where, you know, Doug, uh, 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 Dr. Pym is warning Scott about messing with the regulator and he, you know, it's the setup for the quantum realm later. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we experimented with lots of different ways to put that together. Um, whether it be that Scott takes this dead serious and realizes there's something or, you know, and, and how you do it. But in the end, it became that same thing. You you know, if he was too aware too early, not good. So we just laid out, uh, you know, Pim in his emotional way. And then Scott just goes, oh, okay, if it ain't broke, go fix it and just move on. So it sounds like you had lots of options. So was there a lot of improv by Paul Rudd? Because he, he does a lot of that on things like Anchorman. So did you get a lot of that? Yeah, there was. There was a good good share of improv. Generally, um, what would happen, and this is this is a, a great Peyton style, is that first first you get the scene as written, then you try planned variations, and then you finally just ask the actor, "Do you want to riff? Do you want to try stuff?" Mm-hmm. And we got an awful lot of material out of that, both during the principal photography and the reshoots, but also in the ADR, um, you could say that um, an awful lot of the dialogue exchanges when he's in the suit were sort of, they, we, we had good early versions, but where they became was because then once we really nailed, you know, what was going to happen, we really let, let them play. Mm-hmm. And so much good stuff came out of that. It's just a, it's just a lot of work to sit through it all. That's the only thing. And then you know, our, we everything is a constant debate in this world. And mm-hmm. um, people, what, what's so interesting about the Marvel world is so much is created 
in the editing room. And that's, by the way, where the executives do show up. After director's cut, we're sitting in the room with Kevin Feige and, and Luis Esposito the, the whole time, and we're just... Every moment gets challenged. Um, even if it's good, the, the mantra is it could be better. And then sometimes it just holds. You know, there's scenes that are straight out of my assembly, but other times we have discoveries and we try a whole different way to do it. Um, a lot of times just to come back, but then we'll find that one nugget that made the scene a little bit better. And that's that's how it's approached. Having the executives in the, the room is probably stressful, but also um, when they have such respect for the material and then you have Peyton who's extremely knowledgeable of the material, it's probably a very, um, I guess, fertile environment for experimentation because there's so much, so many things you can do with the people who control the the, uh, creative material. It really is because in the Marvel environment, the scripts aren't sacred, and that's there's a lot of reasons for that. One is that you know they they from their own side, which is you know Marvel's uh, creative directors uh, from from the print, you know have a lot to say in the early part, and then Marvel sort of designs it so that you'll you'll shoot the movie, go back and tinker with it in post, and then have a reshoot, and then. You know, and then tinker and and, and arrive at your uh, finale. Mm-hmm. The environment which we're in is it would be very unexpected for people because Kevin Feige is not he does not dictate to us. It's a discourse. It's an uh, it's like it's like a debate of why it should be this way or this way. And um, you know, if if he you know, sort of best argument wins, and even Sometimes when they say, well, let's let's try it this way, which means that we're going to uh, put it in front of an audience and try it a certain way. If it doesn't work, he, he's, the, he's the first to go, boy, I was wrong about that one. And, and I really admire that because the normal studio process would be they don't, they don't sit in with you. They send you notes that can, can be some spot on and some very vague. Mm-hmm. And then you're left with this kind of telephone game of interpretation. So it's not that everything that these guys have is good ideas. It's that they're right there to see right away whether there's any fruit to be gained with this or that notion. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's why these movies, you know, have been so successful and so good because it's, it's a formula that you know I don't think would be palatable to uh, many other studios because that that's not who the um, you know studio bosses are. Mm-hmm. And and in my my feeling, this is my fourth Marvel film. My feeling, I had no idea when I was doing Iron Man that this was, you know, that this would become what it was. But my feeling is it's been a golden age and it will end. It, you know, and certainly. When Kevin Feige's gone, it'll end. It, um, you know, somebody might be able to ride a couple years off off what they have going, but the very method of of how they succeed may may indeed uh, uh, go away because without that kind of will in the process, I don't know. I don't know how you get there. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also it's it's been fascinating because 
had you asked me, you know, after the third Iron Man or the, you know, the first Avengers, uh, would it still be going? I would have been like, oh, there's got to be a point at which it burns out where people are, are tired. But it seems that it keeps getting re revigorated or um, like the ideas keep are so fresh or so unique that people are still getting engaged. Yeah, it's it's as if it's crazy because you know everyone's you know you see you see the press and they talk about greater characters and lesser characters. The funny thing is all their all their top um, selling stuff was already owned by the other studios before Iron Man. Yeah. So so uh, it's always been kind of well let let's see if you know what what could be. The interesting story with this and that character. Now they're really getting off into you know, Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. Who knows where that goes? That's that's pretty crazy. <laughs> well, and that's that's the thing. Like going into Ant Man, I was like, I don't, I don't know. Like when they announced it, I was, I was like, I don't know if I can get into that. You know, I never read the comics. Uh, Where's all the other ones I had read? And then watching the film, I was like, wow, they did a phenomenal job. Um, yeah, I'm sort of the, the the one guy that's in their universe that never read a comic. <laughs> that's always, that was always me. Although although now I'm very curious as to things, and so I ask a lot of questions because sometimes the answers we seek are back in the original material. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, gen I generally find out more and more as we work on these things uh, the history. Now you touched on earlier that there was that ten week, or you lost ten weeks. So how did that affect you in the in the cutting room? What what changed or? It, it, it did affect because it didn't get taken from the shoot, but they didn't change the release date. Mm -hmm. So ten weeks less meant, you know, it's kind of a horse race because you've got to get this story in shape while the effect of the visual effects are developing. Mm -hmm. And then at a certain point, you've got to, you've just got to get it there so they could do it. They just need enough time. And then behind them is sound and, and then 3D. I mean, all of these people are chasing what we're doing and we're constantly changing the cut. So then they have to change the visual effects and they have to change, you know, the sound and the 3D. It's, it's chaos. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's chaos with the 10 weeks, but without it, it was crazy. And then we add on kind of another two weeks while they were, you know, really putting on their final touches for Age of Ultron. Uh, to, you know, because, of course, you know, that's that's their big behemoth. So mm -hmm. it kept the executives a little longer than they thought. So we were like, I, I was like, uh, you, <laughs> I was begging them, you guys got to get in here now. Because I just knew, I knew they're not going to change the way they work, which is that no stone go, goes unturned, mm -hmm. but our time is limited. And you don't want to, we work very long hours, but you don't want to get to the point where you're making bad decisions. You just don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's why it becomes, you know, when we started with Iron Man, we didn't test it at all. That's the amazing thing. Iron Man never had a scored test where you, you know, you really, dig into what the audience feels. Um, we put it in front of, I think, two audiences before we finished it. But the feeling back then was you couldn't test a film with, without a, the effects. Mm -hmm. That changed completely in the Marvel world where 
testing has become an important factor, even putting storyboards in front of audiences sometimes. Oh, wow. Um, so we, we, that, that then becomes a, a, a way to gauge where they are and also compare the progress against the other movies. Wow. And, you know, I read in one of your interviews that uh, when you got to the mix, you had 100 VFX shots still coming in. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, when we got to the end of the mix, we still had a hundred. And when we got to the mix, there was something like seven or eight hundred. Oh, wow. I mean, it was, back in the day, I, when, when this, I was first assaulted with this was an Iron Man. I was aghast. <laughs> I had never, because it was always had been so sacred to me that we're done with everything, you know, else, and now we're going to mix the film, and they're going to do it. And now I guess I've, I've grown used to this, world where where I'm running back and forth to the big stage while we're still cutting and approving effects and commenting and so there, there's this complete chaos going around and then we're we're still literally cutting the film and we're doing the final mix it's crazy well how how involved are you in cutting the effects like you had a, a VFX editor on um everything comes through me I was the the lead editor I cut yeah. this with Colby Parker junior and who was great yeah and but ultimately all approval of everything would come through me in, in terms of cutting uh, we have something called a vfx editor but what that is is a person who uh, services and lia- liaisons between the effects and the editorial mm-hmm. and they're often putting it in they're really, you know, obviously can i put this in the cut i go hurry do <laughs> <You know? laughs> um I'm not so concerned, to be honest with you, who does what physical cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, the plane I exist on as an editor is I'm, a, I'm considered a real story guy. I'm a story guy, and I'm a, also known as a comedy guy, and amongst other things. Mm-hmm. So um, my whole thing is that uh, we'll sit there and work together and... and you know, I'll play some of the functions you might think of the director, and then the director will play them with me, and then the producers will play them with us. And then if no one else is devil's advocating, I'll do it myself. I'll mm-hmm. say to them, well, we never tried this entire different way <laughs> to do it. Because um, that's how that's how you know. You've got to kick the tires. you just got to, yeah. you got to, you know, you can have the perfect thing, but there's no way to know that without, you know, looking around a little bit well and i was gonna i was gonna ask in in scenes where the vfx is the entire scene so for example when the ants are eating the servers um, yes you've that's like a huge chunk of time that you might not have access to uh when you're structuring the overall film exactly it starts off as boards and then previs and it stayed that way for an awful long time and then, and, and it, you know, sometimes to the point of frustration, you know, you, you start yelling. And, and by the way, I, I think Jake, uh, the RVFX, he's just like the best, Jake mm-hmm. Morrison. And he and I, you know, worked a couple films and we, I just dig it. But sometimes I get, I'd say, where the hell, how come we haven't seen anything we need to see? Because what we do, we can't react off anything till we see it. So naturally, of course, when we finally got it, we changed it. Uh, I'll tell you, it's really funny because they had, you know, that's such a, you know, for that effects company, that's kind of a, that's a, 
that's a Sistine Chapel. That's a big sequence, you know. Strangely enough, when they first sent it to us, he was he he flew into the thing, and then he jumped off, and then he was swinging and and jumping from server to server and doing all this stuff. And I I was in the room, and it was, it was such a huge shot, and we finally were seeing it. And I said, "Why is he doing that?" <laughs> <laughs> Because why does he need to if he could just fly and land? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> so they had this thing, and of course, it was beautiful what they had done, but it just didn't make sense. So that's the kind of thing. I'm not yeah. saying that to say how, you know, um, you know, I'm, you know, one of the only brains. There's brains. This is a huge collaboration, and mm-hmm. there's millions of ideas that came to us from the vendors. I mean, just little things in these frames that you see and that we would just, we would get and be smiles and rolling with laughter when they, you know, did their thing. But they're also constantly getting redirected by us. So there isn't uh, an effect shot in the movie that doesn't have at least 10 iterations, you know. (laughs) And and some of them have up to 150 iterations. (laughs) That's a lot of effects. No, it's an origin story. And... Uh, one of the things with origin stories is that you have to uh, front load the end or the beginning with lots of information um, and you don't want to sort of drag on too long because then it could become monotonous or it could become boring for the audience so how did you tackle giving us all this information well that's exactly you know that's exactly you're exactly right the, the thing is that I and I prefer origin stories to be honest and and doing sort of the maintaining of the characters. You do have to front load it. You have to give the information. How you decide how much the audience can bear, because they're always going to say in every origin story, oh, it was slow till it got going. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we have tricks like, you know, a lot of movies will start with a big action scene just to sort of placate that Mm -hmm. and then uh, um, move through it so that, you know, it'll, it'll lighten the... Um, the expositionary blow. Mm-hmm. But for me, in, in this one, we, we even tried something like that here that, you know, we ended up not doing. It To me, what you want to do is get just enough and you want everything that you do put in to tie in later so that if you spent a moment to learn something, at some point in the movie, that's going to that's gonna come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... then, then you know, if you have to then cut more than that, then you're going to have to probably remove it later from the story. So everything is related to everything else. Uh, so when you when you're making these decisions, you have to, you know, you have to be, you know, very careful. But I I, I mean I'm I'm a little more patient as a viewer myself than a lot of the people, and so I'm I'm like. I am fascinated with set, set up, um, you know, as long as it has payoff. <laughs> it's interesting because there's also a lot of moments where you are either explaining something visually or you do it through exposition, but in a in a unique and visual way. So, like, when he breaks into the, the safe, we see all these nice quick cuts. You know, he creates the thumbprint and puts the uh, ice in, freezes it, but then giving the background of how they got the job in the first place. 
is done through that humorous approach of the guy telling telling the story of how he found out, and it's all ADR in a sense. In yeah, yeah, that was Peyton. He brought that to the table, and then that was just so much fun. The way we put that together was that you know they shot him, let him riff, and then I was looking for, I was I was kind of really looking for this his high energy. So I do what we call a radio cut, which mm-hmm. is. Um, I cut, you know, with jump cuts, him, him delivering all these lines of just the, the best that I felt like it was this kind of a put together, just one stream of consciousness kind of thing. Mm. And then they went to shoot the various parts and used that as the playback. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, so it's, it's him first in the, in that apartment telling the whole story and, you know, they did about... 15 takes or something. And, uh, you know, it was funny because they had built in a couple of those, um, swish pans were built in in camera, but I was like, well, you know, if we're going to go there, let's just, let's just do it. Mm-hmm. So I installed the, the rest of that whole aesthetic, you know, and, uh, that was pretty cool. And then it became sort of, film wide aesthetic, you know, mm-hmm. like the old, the old, uh, producers, more of that. <laughs> so getting into that humor a bit more. So, cause you said you, you're known as a, as a comedy guy. So can you tell us about cutting some of the comedic moments in this film? Well, you know, com- comedy editing is, uh, is tricky. It's tricky because it's timing based. And one of the things I always try to do when I'm cutting comedy is I try to control the pauses where mm-hmm. the actors pause, right? Because I've always found that, you know, most actors kind of, can, they don't know where they want to emphasize, so they'll sort of put emphasis at the end of every line by a pause. Mm-hmm. And then what, you know, then what I do is I go, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to let the, the pause be where we want it to land. You know, it's like the, it's like a boxing combination where you want to, Throw the haymaker or whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, control it that way. But and there's also, you know, like with fashioning Luis's is um, finding the sweetness to him too. Not just letting it be uh, broad and just street, but having the sweetness. And, and I thought Peyton and, and the writers were so smart in not, you know, putting him, you know, interested in, uh, in wine and, and in, in an art mm-hmm. just to, you know, you know, yeah, of course he was street, but just to, just to take the other cliches out of it, you mm-hmm. know, and, uh, you know, just make it fun. And, and, you know, that was, that was really one of the sort of, uh, proud characters getting it right with him mm-hmm. because, he, he, you know, he was great and he tried a lot of things. Um, some really, really broad things, some really, really street things and tough things because you just don't know while you're shooting what direction. Mm-hmm. So then, as I said, I, I just approached him to be like a guy who could only think in the positive kind of thing. And yeah. that just, that just, just have worked. It worked to the point where the second one of those montages we added in the reshoot. Yeah. Because it was just so, it just felt so right, and we were looking for a good way to end the film. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, let's, 
let's put it there. <laughs> Uh, well, and there's also sort of a fun, playful um, approach to your editing for the comedy, because there's a lot of sort of, um, specifically with Paul Rudd, like he'll say something in a scene, and then we do a cut, and he's the opposite of whatever he said, um, you know, particularly with his daughter. That's a, that's always a good technique, is to, to do things that collide the edit, mm-hmm. you know, to... And it's classical comedy stuff, you know. You know, you get a character. I will positively never go and say hello to this girl and then smash cut he's saying hello to the girl. Yeah. Sort of. And, and, and transitions are also important. You know, how you get from scene to scene is mm-hmm. just critical. With so many rewrites, or not even rewrites, but like reshoots or uh, the switch, because um, usually whenever I've seen you know well-written scripts the transitions are in the script right they've worked it in in some smart way yeah they suggest them they do suggest them um i i my from my experience uh, you know you rarely do it the way the writer did mm-hmm. because their their sort of transitions are blocky because you it's very rare that we use the full scene that's written mm-hmm. i mean you know all of these scenes are shorter version the first cut of the film is you know three hours and 20 minutes or something Mm -hmm. so even if they did suggest a transition and you know some of them you do like when i worked with the hughes brothers those were some amazing planned transitions we had Mm -hmm. but most of these kind of movies it's never really like that and so it then becomes something that we, you know, the, the the director has to plan something while he's shooting, or sometimes while we're shooting, we discuss it and get something, or sometimes that's just later. That's just mm-hmm. uh, fashioned later. I got to ask what the footage was like for the daughter, because she came across phenomenally uh, as an actress. I was so worried, you know, kid actors, and, and I was first looking at the dailies, and I was like, oh, man. Um you know, and I, 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 to the point where it's like, hey, Colby, go through all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and, and he beautifully did and, and started to really find her. Yeah. And then, okay, so just like each character, what is, what do we really want from her? And she sort of represented this unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what he, he just, the whole story is about him being worthy for that love. And so, that's kind of, no one tells you that going in. That's what you find out because editing film is like a detective novel. Mm-hmm. You're, you're really trying to understand the material as you're working it. So, yeah. And then I will say this, Kevin personally came in. I had this kind of, you know, where she, where she says uh, her line about, um, I hope you don't catch him. Yeah. You know, that, that one, which really, I've heard some huge laughs from audiences. Yeah. And uh, yeah, she she says that the way I I had originally put it, but the sh- shots around it, he was like, because I'm I'm unfortunately I'm not a parent, yeah. and he has you know he has young children, and he was like, no no no, where where she's leaning over the the chair and all these weird positions and stuff. That's how a child is. <laughs> and so okay, great, wow, okay. <laughs> Well, so, she came across that, so like strong as a as a young actress. Like just the look she gives them when she says that line. 
is yeah yeah it it is it's it just it feels so uncannily real (laughs) so and then and you know then we were yeah we were we were again there's way more material that we used and so it's always um, always a compliment to an editor when you hear why why didn't they use more because <laughs> it, it it means you know you, you paired it to the stuff that's really working and uh, I remember someone you know writing in angrily about to Zoe Gasnell when I cut Elf yeah she was underused she was so good every moment <laughs> she's so good yeah because that's the moments we used you had to go with the best so. I also want to ask you about the lambs and the uh, <laughs> turning them into mush. <laughs> um, Much to the horror of the audience. It's funny people people don't mind uh, people don't mind hurting people, but you put a little lamb up there, boy. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it goes against that whole save the cat theory, where it's like don't harm the innocent animal. So, how did you guys approach that? Because I know the girl behind me in the theater screamed out loud for the whole theater to hear she was so upset <laughs> and i can i can understand that there was a lot of de- there was an awful lot of debate that we had um about about it and he, you know he has that line of he says i thought we were working at mice and says what's the difference and originally as kind of, we had a, a a real uh, long pause while he's thinking about what she said, and then then he says, "What's the difference?" And mm-hmm. and uh, you know, one of one of the the producers is like, "That's death." I mean, he, what is the difference? You know, it's like uh, so we did have we did have a lot of debate, and and it we, we we needed to we needed our bad guy to be bad enough, really, as mm-hmm. part of the issue. We just wanted to make sure. That you know, it make no mistake. This guy, this guy isn't, uh, you know, he's he's a bit off unhinged. You know, mm. it, it's implied in the movie, and I don't know where where they'll end up going with it. It's a very interesting thing mm-hmm. that wearing this suit and messing with these particles, you know, causes some real problems. You know, mm-hmm. go nuts. So. I, I think there's a whole dark side to some of this material that will ultimately be um, explored. Wow. And uh, and I think it'll explain a lot more about, uh, you know, what was going on with, with, uh, with Cross. Well, I think, yeah, because you guys sort of mentioned in that the more you do this shrinking, the more it affects your brain uh, mm-hmm. and makes it harder for you to... I guess see the difference between good and evil, um, and there's this whole thing in there, which we decided we didn't want because the audience had enough exposition. But there was a whole thing about that, you know, he was testing these particles without a containment thing, mm-hmm. right? So he was he was putting them just raw out there, spraying that stuff around, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, and he he really couldn't get it to shrink until he put the that lamb in that containment vessel. Mm-hmm. That was meant to be a a bigger story point, but as I say, it just at some point, you know, people are like, oh, you know, no more of the pseudoscience. <laughs> so, uh, 
but that that's that's I think a, a bit of it, a part of it. And did you use Touch Edit on this project? Wish I could have, but you know, in light of what happened at Sony last year, the the security yeah. is a huge thing with Marvel. So we actually had to go into um, sort of lockdown rooms with no connections to the outside to, uh-huh. to do our work. Unfortunately, Touch Edit's about just the opposite of that. Yeah. Well, I was going to say because it it if I remember correctly, it worked well on things like Chef and and Thor because you could bring it to set and show cuts as you're going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, in in uh, you know, in the right circumstances, not the heavy duty, big, secure things where there's plenty of people trying to get in and have a look at what we're doing. <laughs> I don't know why everyone wants to do that either, because, you know, it's like, uh, it's like looking at a cake before it's baked. Yeah. <laughs> I have one last question and that's uh perspective. Cause we're constantly shifting to small and then big, um, mm-hmm. particularly in the little girl's room. Um, so I was wondering how you approached that editing it, that incorporating that into your editing and making sure that we weren't confused? Well, the, 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 of course, perspective is everything in this movie because mm-hmm. you know, there. And we had a lot of things, a big learning curve as to how to shoot him to, keep, you know, to make small look small. And we found you couldn't use any of your typical classical power angles. Mm-hmm. You couldn't do that. Um, you had to shoot from above and things like that to keep scale. Otherwise, you look like a bad rear projection. Mm-hmm. So um, we learned we learned how to shoot him while we were shooting him, and then how I approached that. Well, I I, I was I remember I was cutting the uh, scene where he bursts out of the pod, mm-hmm. and he, the first time he really kicks some ass. Really, I mean, uh, you know he. He did great in the Falcon fight in this kind of haphazard way. But the first time he kind of owns it and just goes in and does it. Mm-hmm. And I was experimenting with the speed of how, and I was like, wow. So I've quickly realized because strangely enough, did just the tendency of how you shoot things, they shot so much as in full size. And I was discovering that less full size is so much more interesting. It's just mm-hmm. it's, it's better. Thing, you know, the more you keep them shrunk. And so getting that mixture right was a big way. But, you know, as I was saying, everything is experimentation until you find it. Well, thank you very much for letting me interview Yeah, yeah. I hope it's good. So that was my interview with Dan. Now, again, if you have any questions, go to aotd.com slash antman, and there you'll see the full transcript and a link to our discussion about it where you can ask any questions, post any ideas, anything you want that's post-production related or, or about the film. Just submit it right there. And I'd like to thank Dan for allowing me to interview him again. Uh, of course, you can always submit content at aotg.com. You can always use our browser plugins, aotg.com plugins. And of course, you can always communicate with us if you're not going to go into the discussion area on Twitter at AOTG Network on Facebook, facebook.com slash AOTG Network. Or of course, we now have a YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash AOTG.com. And dot is spelled out. So I'd like to thank Dan Leventhal for allowing me to interview him. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.